welcome back to another episode of Artist Avenue. In this episode, I am joined by the beautiful Charlie McGallit. Charlie is an alumna of the University of the Philippines College of Music Voice Department. She has been performing locally and internationally for musical theatre and opera productions since 2009, working with both professional and university-based companies. Charlie worked for the Walt Disney Company for more than three years, initially as a main stage performer on the Disney Cruise Line and then as a lead vocalist in Hong Kong Disneyland. She took her master's in music theatre at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama and graduated with distinction. Shortly after graduation, she made her debut during the national tour of Cat in the Hat, where she captivated different generations of audiences all over the United Kingdom. She was last seen on stage for the UK tour of Amelie the Musical, where she was the cover for the title role. When Charlie is not performing, she teaches musical theatre and voice privately. Before we dive into Charlie's incredibly unique journey, I would like to remind you that due to the current circumstances, we had to record this episode remotely via Zoom. Therefore, the quality might suffer at points. Nevertheless, please keep listening. As I always say, for a 2021 podcast, it's content over technical quality. So without further ado, enjoy this magical episode. Charlie. Hi, Christiana. <laughs> Welcome to Artist Avenue. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start off with a little introduction? Tell us a bit about yourself and what you do, who you are. Right, so uh, my real name is Charlene Elizabeth de Assis Magalit. It's quite long. And I adopted the name Charlie Magalit because Charlie is my nickname. It's what my family calls me. And I feel like it's more of like my personality. Charlene Elizabeth is quite serious. And I feel like I'm, I'm a quirky person. So I adopted Charlie Magalit for my professional name. And um, I'm a musical theater artist and a singer and a vocal coach. And I'm a Filipino, uh, so or a Filipina, or a Filipinex, if you want, in the States. Uh, and uh, I speak English, Tagalog, and I'm currently learning French. I started with my, my bachelor's degree in music, in voice, in the UP College of Music. So I studied opera and classical music. And after that, I did my master's at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama for Music Theater. And there you go. <laughs> Amazing. Is Tagalog, is that the Filipino language then? Yes, it's the official Filipino language. So it's actually Filipino and English, which, yeah, we have two official languages. That's amazing. I had no idea and I've never heard that before. Learn something <laughs> new every day. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Would you like to take us back to the beginning of your journey? How did it all start out with you? Yeah, so for me, I was I was a little girl who who sang in church a lot. <laughs> so I was five when I when I did my first church singing gig. <laughs> it's not really a gig because it's not paid. But um, my my grandma was always pushing me to sing, and she she introduced me to one of the the brothers of the church, and he was like, "Okay, can you try this song?" and so I sang, um, it's it's in Latin, in fact, it's Regina Celli. So I sang this, Regina Celli, letare, in this tiny voice. And um, I was just parroting uh, <laughs> because I couldn't, I didn't know the words. I couldn't, I couldn't really read Latin. So I was just parroting them and the brothers were amazed that 
this little girl of five years old could like sing Latin and my ear was very good. And so they chose me for to be an angel because we have this tradition in the Philippines where we take the veil out of um, the, the Mother Mary's face so that she can see Jesus when he's resurrected. Yeah, so I did that. I sang the solo. And after that, I just... I just found the love for singing and I was like, yeah, I want to join a choir. So I just joined this uh, youth choir and then I just kept on, when I was growing up, I just moved on to the next choir, to the adolescent choir, to the teens choir, and then to the, the adults choir. And there you go. So that's my, my humble beginnings was from the church. And my love for music was fostered when, when I joined uh, the Glee Club. In, in high school actually <laughs> and we we did a lot of songs we learned so many pieces and I just loved how we sounded all together I, I came from a, an all-girls school and so like just performing just hearing us like harmonizing in this beautiful way just inspired me to like pursue music you know and it kept me in love with music <laughs> That's beautiful. It's amazing to see how it all started like so predominantly with music and songs for you as well. It's really lovely. Yes, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and from there, did you go on to study in the Philippines first? Yeah, I so musical theatre has always been in the back of my head. But I always thought that I was only good enough to be a singer. Yeah, so like it, when you're in high school, we have these clubs and like there's a drama club and there wasn't really a musical theater club, but the drama club would do musicals. So so they would always perform and I'm like, ah, oh, but I, I can't act, you know, but I'm just a, I'm just a singer, I'm just a chorister. But I, I do watch a lot of, of theater because it was accessible to us back at home. We had a bit of theater. And so... Um, at that time as well, uh, Miss Saigon was was quite popular because Leah Salonga was was uh, still the Kim, <laughs> and she would she would bring Miss Saigon to the Philippines, or they would bring Miss Saigon to the Philippines, and we would just watch it. And I was like, wow, it's actually something that people do. I I have this idea when I was a kid that actors on TV weren't real. <laughs> That they weren't real people, and so when I watched uh, when I watched theater, like live theater, they were actually real people performing on stage. It was so new to me this idea that wow, these are real people performing and and acting out different roles. So I was so inspired by that, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll do it someday. But then, music was always the number my first love, you know. And uh, so that's that's how I pursued my my voice degree in classical singing, and then of course I was introduced briefly to to musical theater because they're like, oh, you know, we're 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 doing this play in the university and we're looking for singer actors, but I couldn't act, so I was like, okay, but I'm a singer, so maybe I should try. So the first play that I auditioned for was um, it's this famous book called Isang Panaginip na Fili, but it's from the book El Filibusterismo um, by Jose Rizal, which is our uh, national hero. He's a well-traveled man and he wrote this book about how the Filipinos were oppressed by 
our conquerors, which were the Spaniards at that time, because we were under Spain. Not a lot of people know this, but we were under Spain for 300 years. And there were a lot of cases where where friars would, would rape Filipino women, and it was a lot of oppression, and they would call us indios. You know, it's, it's the slavery, but in, in Asia, it's the same slavery that the black people experienced but in Asia and with different and with different people. So yeah, so Jose Rizal wrote this book exposing all of the the harassment Filipinos were receiving and it was staged into a musical. And so I decided to audition for it. And it was so funny because I had nothing on my CV. <laughs> I was like, ah, I'm a voice major. I, I didn't even know what a proper CV had. So I had my photo and I had, okay, a, a chorister, uh, a part of the chorale, um, first year, or no, I was second year uh, voice major in the College of Music. And that's it, like three things in my... <laughs> three things in my in my CV and I wrote uh, a letter of motivation and I said oh I would really like to be part of of your play because I feel like I could give my music to you even if I can't act and I would like to um, make this as a part of my training you know as uh, for myself and I didn't really expect to to go on I was so nervous but the director saw something in me and he was like, okay, let's get you in. So he, um, they posted the list of the names of people and that's where I got my first gig and I was part of the chorus and I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy. I got my first a professional, professional job. I don't even know because it's based in the university. So I wasn't sure if it was a professional or not professional, but yeah, I got my, my first gig. <laughs> Obviously, they had to train me and to like get out the acting out of me. And so that, it was the perfect avenue because I was working with professionals and students. And they were actually training the students to be backstage help, to be actors, to be lighting designers, all of the, these things, which was amazing. Such an amazing experience. So I, I actually, I'm so thankful for for this organization, Dulaang Yupi, who has opened my eyes to musical theater. <laughs> it's how they say you learn on the job, don't you? So it's yeah, great yeah, that absolutely. that was opportunity. Um, you know how you study classical singing? Do you yeah. think that, so how does classical singing aid you in like doing different styles of singing? Okay, so my my point of view is more like in classical singing, it really just strength strengthens your voice because we were trained so young. You can't really push somebody to be a classical singer right away because the voice is still fragile and the voice matures until now, actually. This is the prime, like the prime of my voice is now. And so if I had decided to become a classical singer, then my voice would have been very different from what it could have been if I pursued classical singing um, versus to now when I when I decided that I wanted to become a musical theater artist. So in my point of view, when I was in the conservatory, it was more of a generalist singing and training. And then they would make us sing classical pieces, obviously. But 
it didn't really feel that I was being pushed to become a classical soprano. Mm-hmm. They taught us very well to to take care of our voice, what not to do, to you know, to do these things in the healthy, healthy manner. The only difference is that we weren't taught how to belt. <laughs> we weren't taught how to belt. We weren't taught how to to reach those like really chesty parts of our voice, which I only found out when I studied musical theater. Mm-hmm. But all of those beautiful bel canto singing was there. And I'm not sure if I answered your question. You are. <laughs> I may you have, are. <laughs> I may have uh, went on a tangent, actually. Um, but yeah, so so classical singing for, uh, for me was more of like a foundation training. Mm-hmm. And after that, it I just explored more on, on musical theater and jazz, which is what I think a lot of people should do if they want to become a professional yeah because it really it really does strengthen your voice and like wow I, you sing in a span in a day <laughs> in a span of a day you sing four to eight hours healthily and I'm like I know I'm not even like I'm, I'm tired yes physically and you, you feel it at the end of the day when you're like I just want to sleep but your voice is feeling it's okay because you know that you're singing healthily Mm-hmm. you know and sometimes that's what people do like they rehearse and then they have to do their their technical dress run and then they have to do you know a, f- a full opera and that's that's why it's so healthy to to have your foundation as a classical singer because it really trains you to sing for long for long amounts of time and mm. these with these difficult pieces <laughs> so yeah yeah no that's amazing it sounds like classical singing is the ballet for example you know like oh yeah ballet is the foundation of like dance as well that's what it reminds me (laughs) beautiful um and I also know that before coming to London you've been fortunate enough to work internationally and in Asia and amongst that you also worked for Disney Cruise Lines and I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about the Disney Cruise Line magic and how that was Right. So um, I was very lucky actually to to have to work with Cruise Line because they don't get a lot of people from the Philippines anymore. <laughs> um, so one of the Princess Jasmines from before, uh, my friend Rina, she got a uh, she got a bit of a vocal health problem at that time. So she couldn't continue her contract. So they went back to the Philippines and looked for a Jasmine. And funny enough, if you meet Rina, she looks exactly like me. We have the same height, we have the same stature, everything. And so I feel like when I auditioned, they're like, oh, she looks like Rina. She looks like our old Jasmine's. <laughs> and then so I was initially, I thought that I was initially auditioning for Hong Kong Disneyland at that time because that's what the audition was for. So I sang When You Wish Upon a Star, which was for Golden Mickeys at that time. And then they made me stay for for callbacks at the same day. And I was like, okay, what could they um, want me to do? So um, I stayed and they're like, okay, can you sing a few bars of A Whole New World for us? So they made me sing A Whole New World. And then they made me do a little dance combination all the while taking a video of me and after a few months I received an email that said that they're considering me for a role in the cruise line so they asked for more videos so they asked for the entire video of a whole new world and princess jasmine's 
aria, which not a lot of people know, which is to be free. Yeah. I didn't know that existed. Yeah, it does exist. It it doesn't exist in the movie or or the new movie, the the animated, uh, the live animation one. But it's it goes something like, lucky bird inside a gilded cage, something like this. It's a beautiful song. It's it's the motif of Jasmine and Aladdin falling in love. It's always on the on the motif of the Aladdin scoring. But it was never sung, so it's kind of sad that it's not there because it's such a beautiful song. Anyway, so <laughs> um, so we have this this to be free song. So I sang a couple of bars from there, and the entire a whole new world, which you can find on my YouTube channel. Actually, I've posted it after I've gotten the job. Yeah, and then after a few months, they asked me to do seaman's training, which was crazy. Because you have to you have to do all of these safety trainings before they could send you off to to do a cruise uh, contract, and then so I did all of this in a span of like four months, and then that was in September, and then in January I was flown off to Toronto, where we have all of the trainings for for the cruise line. So we have five shows for the cruise line. Oh wow! We have. Yes, because it's a, it's a seven-day cruise, so you have to keep the guests busy at night and on our sea days, which means that uh, we're traveling from one island to the next, so we have to keep the guests entertained. So we have five shows in total that we had to practice, and each show was about an hour long. And so it took us two months to rehearse all of that, to be assessed with our dancing and singing, and to just figure out the tracking for everybody for each show. So it, it was quite a job for, for the director and the choreographers, but we made it. And then after two months, uh, they put us on board and we, we did a lot of training with the outgoing cast so while they were doing their shows in the evening we would stay up super late at night to do our technical dress rehearsals because it has to be a smooth transition between the two casts and yeah that was a week of crossover cast crossover yeah and after that we were just doing the shows like we were doing that nothing happened as if nothing happened and everybody was so happy and yeah it was a good six-month contract actually it was very happy you know like we received a lot of guests and we saw so many children and we would pretend that we can't okay so in disney in the disney ethos there's only one jasmine there's only one aladdin there's only one person but sometimes sometimes the the cast on stage is different from the cast that greets the people so as the Jasmine on stage, I can't really go out and say, hey, I'm Jasmine on stage. <laughs> Ask for my autograph. We can't really say that. <laughs> so it's only the, the face character Jasmine who is the real Jasmine, right? So we have to pretend that we're nobodies, you know, and we have to wear uh, little disguises when we have to go out. So sometimes if I'm greeting with a real Jasmine, I have to wear um, glasses. <laughs> You have to wear glasses so that the kids are like focused on the face character Jasmine and they're like, 
hmm, she looks familiar, so that can't happen. And if they ask you, are you the Jasmine on stage? You have to say, what do you mean? There's only one Jasmine, and she's right there. <laughs> that is so, so yeah. <laughs> so we have to pretend that we have to keep the magic for the children. <laughs> I find it so fascinating. I Like, every time I hear about how Disney work their magic in live, let's say, like, it's so... It, it's so just mesmerizing how much care and detail they put into, you know, keeping that magic alive, making it only one Jasmine and one Aladdin. Like, I think it's, I, I'm always blown away. Yeah, absolutely. They're so, they're so good with that. And because they know that the characters are what the people love, actually, the characters are what the people look for and what the people go there for. So that's why they, they are so careful with, you know, keeping the magic for everyone, which is great. I, I love it. So everybody is in cahoots with the whole, <laughs> there's only one Jasmine, there's only one Mickey, there's only one, yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful. And whilst being away on the cruise for six months, did you find and experience any challenges or any ups and downs? Uh, well, yes, absolutely, because you're you're so far away from home, and at that time I was twelve hours um, behind from Philippine time, so it was so difficult to get in touch with family, and I found that it was more difficult to keep a healthy state of mind. You know, where where when you're on the cruise and when you're not really getting to talk to your family as often as you want. And I find that when I was in Hong Kong, my family was just 30 minutes away from, from a plane right away, basically. And so they could visit me every two months. And that, that helped a lot with the support group that you have. I mean, obviously, you create bonds with, with the people that you work with on the cruise. But it's still different when, when you have, you know, close relationships and a tight-knit family that I like I do. So for me, it was it was more difficult and it was manifesting. I was getting a bit more sick <laughs> than I would usually be, you know. So yeah, it was quite difficult. Did you, back then when you did it, this might sound like a silly question, but how was the internet connection on the cruise line? <laughs> uh, so it depends, actually. Sometimes it's the internet was quite good actually on the cruise, but you have to pay for it. Oh, so it, yeah, so it's it's not really free. So, but it was cheap for for cast members. But um, it was like twenty cents, <laughs> twenty cents per per hour, something like this. But it was still something that you you know you need to pay for if if you wanted to talk to your family. So every time we would dock onto onto you know, the port um, in the States, that's when everybody would take out their phone and just like <laughs> talk to their family <laughs> at 5 in the morning. Hi, mom, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so you have to make sure that uh, you really set the time for, for when you talk and plus the, the time difference. Yeah, it's really the challenge that I, that I found uh, mm -hmm. whilst working on the cruise line. And did your family manage to come out on the cruise and see you? No, they weren't able to because that would mean that they had to go to the States. Oh. And yes, yeah, so they had they had to go to Florida and then go on the cruise 
and then go back to Florida. So it, it's, it was quite difficult with visas and everything because Filipinos need visas for every single country. <laughs> so that's why we were like, okay. No, I, I lie. It's not every single country. Um, obviously, uh, Southeast Asia, we, we don't need a lot of visas there. But definitely on the States, we, we do need visas. And it would have been too expensive to bring everybody to the states and then on the cruise yeah unfortunately they weren't able to mm. i hope they could see some recordings though yeah they <laughs> did they did <laughs> they were able to do that though how how was it actually because then also you worked in hong kong did you find any difference of like working on the cruise and working on land oh yes um on the cruise, so we had five shows, right, as I've mentioned before, and it was an hour long. In Hong Kong, everything was faster because it was a park. So all of the attractions had to go um, a bit faster than the shows that we had on the ship, which was more like a gala night performance. In, in Hong Kong, we would perform maximum of eight shows a day. And the minimum is one show. So <laughs> we would perform the same show. It's a 30-minute show. It's called Mickey and the Wondrous Book. And we would perform it for, for 30 minutes every day. And so there are alternating casts. Mm -hmm. So there's a morning cast and there's an afternoon cast. But sometimes if you're the only one available, you have to do all eight shows, <laughs> especially on, on peak times and on peak um, seasons, like summer vacations, Christmas vacations. There you go. So the holidays, that's where it's busiest. So the main uh, trick, not really a trick, but the main goal there is to not get bored because it is a short show and you have to do it over and over and over again. And you have to pace yourself as well. So you have to find ways to make the job interesting and the song more interesting. And sometimes you add a little note here and there, you know, sometimes you, you find little gestures or you find more ways to connect with your audience just so you're sure that each time it's a new experience, not only for yourself, but for, for other people, you know, you're not a robot. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's make, uh, that's the main difference between the cruise line and working in the park, I find. Yeah, it must be also a different type of stamina because if you do like shorter shows multiple mm -hmm. times rather than just like one long show a day, let's say, that must be like such a different pacing stamina that you need to like, it's a skill, isn't it? That you have to just like learn. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, for, for shows in the cruise line, you have the entire day to prepare. So you, you can work out, you can do whatever you want in, in that span of time. Um, well, not whatever you want. You can't be drunk because obviously if you're drunk for your show, you can't do that. Um, but do whatever you need to to prepare for your show. Mm. But actually for for Hong Kong, since the shows, the, the time in between is so short, you just need to rest and to make sure that um, you're focused but at the same time, you can allow your brain to, to rest a little bit as well because it does become like it's second nature. It becomes like it's breathing sometimes. So yeah, you, you have to find the, the right balance between focused and relaxed at the same time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, amazing. And um, then you went on 
to the UK. How did that happen? Why did you decide to study in the UK? Right. So in Hong Kong, <laughs> since I was since I was on land, I was uh, I was trying to look for a second purpose. You know, I, I didn't want to be just a performer. I've always been a teacher at heart, and I decided to teach part time for a studio for musical theater, so with kids. And I met a couple of teachers who, who spoke to me and who worked with me. And they have all of these experiences because they went to drama school and they knew, they knew so much more than me. And that's when I was like, oh, if I want to teach musical theater, I need to actually study musical theater. And that's when it hit me that I... I wanted to do a master's in musical theater somewhere. And initially I wanted to do it in the States. But at the same time, I was like, well, why not look into the UK? I have family there, so might as well. And my partner is French, so that's nearer. <laughs> so yeah, so I decided to, to look into schools in the UK whilst I was working for Disney. And luckily enough, Hong Kong had a lot of auditions for, for, for people who wanted to study in the UK because of UK's connection with Hong Kong before, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, so we had a lot of auditions. So I wasn't sure yet if I wanted to do musical theater or if I wanted to continue my voice pedagogy in the UK because I still wanted to teach voice and I still wanted to pursue classical singing. But then when I encountered the program for Central, I, I got inspired and <laughs> I actually had a couple of auditions for, for classical singing already. And the director was like, oh, you, you did your song in such a, an animated way. Why is that? And I, I surprised myself with my answer because I wanted to say, well, because, you know, classical opera, opera should be more, more like storytelling as well. But I surprised myself by saying, because I, I have musical theater background and I feel like performing in this way will, will engage my audience better. And it hit me and it said, there's this voice in my head that just said, oh, you're supposed to just be a musical theater actress, Charlie. <laughs> and, and so I pursued uh, something for musical theater and I auditioned for, for Central. Um, I wanted to go to their live auditions in Singapore, which was near Hong Kong, but nobody was there to, to facilitate the musical theater audition. So they just asked for video auditions. So I worked on that and I submitted it. And I think I was one of the last few people they accepted into the course because I submitted my videos quite late, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, yeah, so in May, I found out that I was going to be part of the program in September. And that was, that was such a, a huge relief because I didn't know whether or not to extend my contract for Disney. So yeah, that was an answered prayer. And from there, I just worked on how I was going from Hong Kong <laughs> to the UK and all of those logistics. Amazing. That is so cool. I love it how they actually audition in Asia as well. I know they didn't come in person, but like how they have that option open for international students as well. I think it's really cool. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think 
Um, I think there are a lot of opportunities and I feel like not a lot of people know about it, which is quite sad. Mm. So my advocacy actually is to share information, whatever information I have, like for the UK or even for now in France, if I have any information about auditions for schools or for mm -hmm. shows that are open to Asians, I just share it to my friends, to my Facebook group. Yeah, so, so yeah. it's more accessible. That's wonderful. Um, and then how did your journey evolve after graduating? <laughs> so after graduating, I, I went to, so I went to numerous auditions after that because I was like, I want to stay in the UK. So I, I need to audition. And luckily enough, I already had an agent that I met uh, during during our showcase, actually. So I've, I've met them after the showcase and and they signed me on their roster, on their clients list. And after that, they just sent me to a lot of auditions, which was I was very thankful for. And I auditioned for Cat in the Hat. And it was funny because initially I was like, oh, what am I auditioning for? Am I auditioning for, for Sally, for the girl? Because I look like a kid. <laughs> and the, my agent said, no, you're actually auditioning for fish. And I'm like, what? Fish? But fish doesn't really say anything. And she's a fish. How can, how can I audition for a fish? And so I went into, into the audition room and I was... I was planning to sing Waiting for Life to Begin from Once on This Island. And the director, Shubadas, the amazing Shubadas, which is now, who is now the artistic director of High Tide Theater, I believe. He's amazing, amazing person. So he he said, Do you want to know something? Do you want to know anything about the production? I was like, okay, sure, why not? And then he told me about fish. So he said, oh, so you actually want Fish to become this opera diva. And I was like, oh, my God, my song is not perfect for this. Like, it, it is not the, the right song. So last minute, I had to change my song from Waiting for Life to Begin to Never from the 21st century. So it's, it's more adept with, with the character. And... Little did I know that that song, that decision, that song change would change my life because it was such the perfect, it was a perfect song for the character. And Suba was super happy and it had this like beautiful improvisation at the end where you could just like show off your high notes and show off your coloratura notes. And that inspired Suba to put a little Queen of the Night part. <laughs> in the last part of uh, Fish's aria. So yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> incredible. And it's so good. Uh, it was, it, I think everything like falls into place, like by chance, like the universe just allows you to be who you are or what you're supposed to be, you know? Mm. And auditioning for Cat in the Hat was actually one of the best um, experiences that I've ever had. It was my first time to audition into this, human-sized Zorb ball. Yeah, so. you were like, <laughs> were you singing in it or like rolling in it? Like, <laughs> so I was singing and rolling in it. Yes. 
So uh, yeah, every time that, so at the start of every show actually, they have to blow me up into this Zorball. I, I go into my fish outfit. I, I put my skirt in because it's it's very big. It's this fluffy skirt that can never be um, put inside the Zorball. And so I put my skirt in, I put myself inside the Zorb, they zip me up and then they just blow air into the Zorball. <laughs> and I sing my aria inside the Zorball. It's quite difficult to hear actually. So I have my own in-ears in your monitor so I can listen to the song while I sing. And yeah, it was great fun just rolling around using my Zorball to push the cat away whenever I feel like his decisions for the kids are not bad or not good. And yeah, it's it's the best playtime ever. <laughs> it's really a play. Yeah, that that's the it's the epitome of the word play. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. And performing for kids is like the best thing ever because they have like the imagination still and like that spark. I don't know. I love it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. They're so happy. Whenever the fish comes out of the stage, you hear gasps with wow. And then the audi- the auditorium, the stage fills up with all of these bubbles. <laughs> so apart from the bubbles, apart from the kids, like loving the bubbles, they just love seeing this human-sized fish just rolling about on stage. Of course. <laughs> um, and then your career obviously went on for you to cover the wonderful role of Amelie. And I was wondering, how have you ever had the experience of covering before? Is that a different experience to not covering? <laughs> <laughs> so before in the Philippines, actually, um, I thought that I was covering somebody, but it was more like, it was more of an alternate. So initially I was covering for her, but then there were days that she was sure that she wasn't going to make it. So I became the alternate. And so it was very different because you had shows that you knew that you were performing. So you could invite friends and you could invite your family. But with Emily, I was the cover and I was on standby all the time and the director made sure that because it was the cover for the lead role the director made sure that I wasn't doing a lot of things as the standby so I was moving a chair here or I was moving the piano with somebody there (laughs) or I was playing the egg shaker in this spot but it was made so that in case the lead role you know the lead person couldn't perform it wasn't so obvious that I wasn't around you know my role was almost it wasn't important at all (laughs) Mm -hmm. but actually yeah that's that's what I felt like oh actually my role isn't important but actually it's it's the reverse it is very important so I knew that I had to prepare mentally for it more than more than physically and uh, the physical side of it came when I was training for understudy parts, you know. So uh, Audrey Brisson, the the main Amélie, she's amazing, amazing actress, amazing circus performer as well. So she's very strong. So I, we didn't have the same facets. We didn't have the same skills. So I had to train alongside her when I had to lift myself up because Amélie has this, I don't know if you've seen Amélie, but she has this magical umbrella. No, it's not umbrella. It's a, 
it's a lampshade moment where this lampshade goes from, from the top of the stage going down and we have to pick it up and it hoists her up into her room, which is in the middle of the stage in this little, little bubble of a room. So that was the main challenge to not be afraid of heights and to be physically strong for that actually. And to, to mentally keep sane for, for the most part that I'm not doing understudy work. So I was able to play the part for one time and unfortunately none of my friends or family was able to watch it, but it was, it was the best experience actually. Just, it was pure energy. It was pure love from, from all of the cast members. And yeah, it was one of, one of the best moments in my career, I feel. <laughs> I didn't even know that she was so physical as in like Amelie required that body physical strength that's so interesting it's stuff that you don't know about characters until you actually have to sit down and study them and work with them isn't it <laughs> yes absolutely and and Audrey makes it look so easy like so flawless like she just puts her hand up in the air and just hoists herself up like it's nothing it's actually hard <laughs> mm. it's, a, it's a lot of engaging for from your back muscles and your core so that you're you're safe while, while you go up because it's, even if it's just 20 seconds of your life, you know, not even 20, maybe 10 seconds of your life, it's, it's still, it requires a bit of practice and skill. Then I would also love to ask you, so obviously Amelie and Cat in the Hat, they were both touring productions. Did you find any difficulty or challenges whilst that, that came in the package of touring a production? The main thing that I found difficult was looking for a place to stay. Oh, did you um, have to for yourself every time? Yes. Oh. So we have, we have allowances every week and it depends. Um, it will depend on you, how you use it. So you have transportation and um, housing allowance for, for every week of the tour. For me, it was difficult to find a place to stay that was near to the theater, that was clean, and that was inexpensive. Because obviously, like, one thing has to, you have to sacrifice one thing to the other. So if you want to live in a place that's cheaper, you're going to have to make sure that you you can walk for 30 minutes <laughs> in the cold of winter or have transportation or, you know, take a bus. So some people, they prefer to live next to the theater. So yeah, so theater digs was a big help for that because you get to find, uh, I, I don't know if you know this website, it's for touring actors and it's it also helps people who are empty nesters so people who, who have kids and they've moved on and they have this big house to themselves, but they want to rent it out. And since the UK is is rich in theater and the theater culture, they can just, you know, put their, their house up on the internet and they can find people who are touring in their region. So that's very helpful, not just for the actors, but also for empty nesters. Yeah. How long did you stay in one city, for example? Uh, so it's usually a weekly tour. It depends on how busy the city is. So sometimes you stay for two weeks if they think that the sales for the, the shows are going to be big. 
but if they think that it's not as big, they only stay for a week or let's say Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So just five days actually. So quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is very quick. <laughs> you must have seen like all of the UK. <laughs> yeah, I, it was such a great way to know the country. Mm. And for a foreigner, it was my first time to step onto the soil of UK when I, you know, studied my master's. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to tour UK later when I'm done with my master's. But I got to tour that was being paid during the tour so of Kandahar and Amelie, which was great because I saw the country was being paid. <laughs> so win-win situation. Win-win. Woohoo! Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Obviously, you've worked almost everywhere in the world like you've gone quite international um so I was wondering if you'd be able to tell us a bit about the differences of how the Asian industry works in the Philippines for example compared to the UK okay so actually in the Philippines we do have a lot of musical theater already but when I left it was starting to grow even more mm-hmm. so I felt like oh no should I stay should I leave <laughs> Because it's growing, maybe maybe you know there there'll be more opportunities, <laughs> but um, but I decided to pursue and my MA anyway. So in the Philippines, actually, the the theater is very concentrated in the capital. So we don't have a lot of regional theaters, not like in the UK where almost all the counties have their own theaters, which is amazing. The first time I found out about that, I was so happy. I was like, oh, I can perform here and here and here, and you tour everywhere. In the Philippines, it's it's not the case. And we don't have a proper functioning theater everywhere in our country. So it's everything is concentrated in the center. You will find maybe five or six really good theaters in the center and maybe one in each region, but not in all uh, cities. So that was that's the main difference. And uh, in the Philippines, we don't really have a lot of agents for musical theater artists. The agents are only for commercial artists, meaning TV actors, uh, commercial actors, and uh, like big names, basically. Mm-hmm. So for, for, <laughs> for tiny theater actors, um, we, yeah, we don't have any agents. It's always an open audition. But you can be sure that some people are already pre-casted <laughs> mm-hmm. and what else uh, in the Philippines we have we have schools that do offer musical theater but I don't think the curriculum is as good as the ones in London obviously I don't know a school actually that has a strong acting department and singing department and a research department so I feel like some schools are, they're strong in acting. Okay, that's their main thing. Some schools are strong in singing. Okay, there's, that's their main thing. And strong research where I feel like in Central, we were, we had strong acting teachers, strong acting department. We had a strong singing department. We, we were starting to have great movement people as well and strong research. So I feel like those things were quite lacking in the Philippines, like a, a strong department for for all of the facets that you need to become a musical theater artist yeah mm. so you you'll need to definitely if you get one school in the philippines you'll need to look for other schools to have 
part-time acting work or singing workshops or dancing workshops. Mm, so the all-rounding training is missing. In yes. A way. Yes. That's exactly. Interesting. So mm-hmm. do you, would you say in the Philippines you specialize more, like do you have more of a culture for like singing or acting or does that not exist really? I think generally they say that Filipinos can, all Filipinos can sing. Yeah, I've generally heard that. that. Yeah, like we 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 have a karaoke uh, culture. So I feel like the first, the most important thing that they prioritize is singing. I find mm-hmm. yeah and dancing next and acting last mm. Mm. because I do know that there are a lot of straight actors but again not the overall formation the overall formation is not there mm. also this is a question that just came to me do you personally think that like because you know how they say Filip- every Filipino can sing, which is such an amazing thing to have. I wish my culture was like that. Do you think that comes from your language as well, as in like the way you form the vowels and like how you can shape that into singing, even in other languages? I think so, because our language is very open. Uh, we have a lot of vowels. Mm-hmm. So, And actually, the rhythm and the, the melody of our language it's it's actually very melodious as well so I feel like that's that's where it stems from there must be research on that uh but I feel I feel that it is connected yeah I'll go research that as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah I could have I could have done that for my for my MA uh, sip actually I should have done that Good <laughs> <Shut> up. <laughs> like worked all over the place all over the world I wanted to ask you if you have any traditions that you do in the Philippines for example before a show right so for this one I've actually listed them (laughs) okay so in America or in the UK we say break a leg and in Germany we say toy 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 so we've we've adapted that too but it's funny because I find that opera singers or classical singers say toy 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 more <laughs> and musical theater actresses or actors say break a leg more I don't know I know mm-hmm. why and we have this tradition where we give opening night gifts to everyone that is night. so lovely <laughs> <laughs> nice like uh it's like Christmas every opening night <laughs> Uh, it's so yeah it's it's really nice it's a great tradition um and uh we we're not allowed to have nuts in the theater oh we have a superstition that if you have nuts inside the theater like it's bad luck maybe it's just one of my directors who who said that but ever since then ever since he said that i'm like okay i'm not bringing nuts (laughs) so we also have the superstition that if your technical dress run is bad, then your opening night will be awesome. <laughs> I've heard of that one, yes. <laughs> yes. Also, one last tradition would be cast parties and cast awards at the end of each production. Oh, that's yeah. lovely. The cast awards, that sounds really lovely. <laughs> yeah, but it's like silly awards, like who stutters the most or like 
<laughs> who has the smelliest dressing room, like something like this. But it's, it's silly awards. <laughs> but that's amazing. I think because like you form such a bond with your cast over the time that you work together that it's just amazing to celebrate the silly stuff as well because we're all just human in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And in, in the Philippines, because you stick with one cast, not like in the UK where like there are a lot of cast changes because of the amount of time that the production has been running. We only have what, like two to three months together. It's super Aww. short in that span of time, actually. So in a year, you can technically do two to three different shows. And and so you really get bonded with the with the same people, you know. <laughs> you have like Christmas every three months. And if you do three shows <laughs> plus Christmas plus birthdays, like... The presents just flowing. Absolutely. <laughs> we are giving people. We, lo- we love giving gifts to each other. So. That's the best thing. We're coming towards the end of the interview. And I always ask a few questions towards the end. So the first one is, in your opinion, what unites us as creatives? Ah, wow. That's a hard question to answer. <laughs> no, but um, for me, the love to the love to collaborate. I feel like as creatives, even if we're doing our own thing, there's this need to always look for people to work with or share ideas or, you know, do a duet with once in a while or do a duologue. So I feel like the need and the love to collaborate will always be there. You know, our our art will always be our glue to each Mm -hmm. other. And what's the biggest thing that you have learned on your journey so far? to not plan too much <laughs> Good yes, one. to to just to just plan enough I mean because I've planned so much in the span of like five years I have goals but then but then it changes because oh you get a job you get a tour but then at the same time don't be afraid to vocalize your dreams if you have a long-term dream, vocalize them, tell it to the universe and always have that dream at the back of your head. Because when I was a kid, I've always wanted to be a Disney performer and I've never, not in my wildest dreams would I have known that it will actually happen. So don't be afraid to vocalize your dreams. At the same time, don't plan too far away that you would make yourself disappointed if your dreams didn't you know come true (laughs) no that's beautiful and this is my favorite question I know the guests don't really like it at the start but (laughs) so what makes you unique as a creative I'm gonna have to pause and think about that that's okay what makes me unique as a creative I have no clue Christiana (laughs) you must have something (laughs) Uh, well, I feel like all of us are unique as creatives and we we all have something that the other people won't have. I feel like all of my experiences put together is not the same as your experiences, for example. And all of that put together makes me unique. <laughs> yeah. See? <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> Yay. No, but that's true. And that's a wonderful answer as well, because even though sometimes you might think like, oh, I've done exactly the same jobs as that person, you might have done, but you will have gotten them a different way. You might have gotten them at a different time and you will have portrayed the character differently. Or maybe you would have had to cover a different role whilst playing this character. So absolutely. (laughs) 
<laughs> is there anything else any last comments you would like to give to the listeners before we end the interview today well uh i think you know as emily says times are hard for dreamers <laughs> um and i feel like i feel like at this time in in our lives in during the pandemic it's it's so easy to be discouraged but i feel like you need to know that your dreams will come true if you work hard enough and if you if you make sure that everything you do every decision that you do every day goes towards the, your goals Wonderful. oh dear again that is true we're going to keep dreaming and keep believing <laughs> exactly oh Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your beautiful journey and being so open. It really means a lot. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure and it's been so much so much fun actually just talking about talking about the past. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh yeah, I've I've done this, I've done that." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite yeah. It's, it's a good affirmation, you know, that you're you're on the right track. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Artist Avenue will be back next Tuesday with another exciting interview. Make sure to follow us on social media and keep up to date with all the artists and their wonderful projects. Your support for this podcast honestly means the world to me. For now, keep smiling, keep listening, and I'll see you all next week.